Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Cam. Yes, Alex. I know you uh, I know you just, you know, got done built building your house and putting all that together. Did you uh did you install any like smart devices whether it be the doorbell or an Alexa or anything like that in your house? Uh well, we already we already had an Alexa smart speaker, so you know, we keep that in our kitchen and everything and it's hooked uh we've actually got it programmed to be hooked to our thermostat because we have a Google nest thermostat which is nice uh but not no uh no smart doorbell or anything yet we've talked about it though yeah i mean my wife and i have wanted to put that kind of stuff in our house it, it seems really cool but obviously i mean if you watch the news everybody's fussing about about the devices because they're worried it's you know listening in on their conversations and whatnot right but really the the only the only device i have that issue with is is our vacuum cleaner because it's been gathering dirt on us for years well, that joke sucked. Dansby throws to first base. Is this happening? It is. The Atlanta Braves are world champions. Welcome to the Chatting Average Podcast presented by Sports Drink. Here are your hosts, Cam Matthews and Alex Butler. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood Atlanta Braves podcast. Welcome to Chatting Average. I'm your host, Alex, joined as always by Mr. Cam Matthews. Cam, how are you doing today? What? Shaking bacon. I wish some bacon was shaking because as we're recording, it is 920 in the morning and I could use breakfast. Yeah, that was, um, I think that was as loud as I was able to just get that. <laughs> We're giving you everything we've got this week, folks. So, oh, boy. Uh, speaking of giving you everything we've got, you may be wondering why there wasn't a show last week. Well, uh, we the recording app that we, we use uh, mysteriously dropped about the last 20 to 30 minutes of our episode, and the rest of it made no sense without that context. So, we are going to salvage what we can of that. Uh, We did review uh, a few games of the World Series, uh, so we are going to cut right to that, and we will be right back with you uh, with with our more current voices. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood Atlanta Braves podcast. Welcome to Chatting Average. I'm your host, Alex, joined, as always, by Mr. Cam Matthews. Cam, how are you doing today? What? Shaking bacon. 
Oh, not too much, not too much. We uh, we are rolling right along with the World Series, despite some uh, some delays for weather. Uh, so there is still baseball to talk about, thankfully. Um, but before we get into that, Cam, how's how's your week been going? Pretty good, pretty good. You know, got to uh, got to celebrate Halloween earlier in the week with the kiddo. We have an obnoxious amount of candy sitting on our kitchen counter right now, which I, I joked about it on Twitter, but boy, that dad tax has been heavy on Halloween candy this year. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you. See, I, I, I made the mistake. I left my wife in charge of picking up the Halloween candy. So rather than having uh, a surplus at the end, we, we ran out at like 9 o'clock. Oh, no. Yeah. Did they, yeah, did they so... egg your house or anything? I'm sorry? Did they egg your house or anything? Um, honestly, I was kind of hoping they would. We, we deserved it, obviously. But, uh, yeah, yeah. but no, no, the house was left untouched. How many uh, how many trick or treaters do you think you had? Um, well, I wasn't here for most of it. I uh, I, I had a uh, had a tennis match that night, so I didn't get back until afterwards. But from what I heard, there were uh, there were quite a lot. Nice, nice. That's all. Uh, how always about you? Fun. I know you live kind of in a more rural area. How how does how does trick or treating work for y'all out there? Well, I mean, our our town still has a few you know higher end neighborhoods that you can go trick or treat at, and and we do that. Um, Are sometimes. we talking like king size candy bar high end neighborhood? Ah, uh, some houses, yeah. We better yeah. be. Yeah, those yeah, were the yeah. spots. You oh, had those that, marked that. on the map before you went out as a kid. Those are the spots, but no, uh, you know. And then we take them around to family members' houses to, to trick or treat that live in a nearby area. And so that that's how I always grew up trick or treating. Was that it was like long dark car rides in between houses with scary music playing in the car and then you know you get done and you go out to eat somewhere that night okay see yeah that is a completely different experience from me we we always lived in larger neighborhoods so um it was either it was either my friends would come over and we'd we'd do my neighborhood or or i'd go over to their house and we'd do their neighborhood but um really like there was never any driving it was just you get candy from who you can walk to gotcha gotcha yeah yeah well you know i live out in the sticks but i've, I've actually i've i've heard i have heard that nowadays they're doing something called trunk or treat cam have you heard of this yeah oh yeah 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 our our church does one every year we did one last saturday and a, a lot of our other area churches around do that and you know that that I can see the the appeal of doing it, and one thing that we noticed because uh, we we put a car out uh, last Saturday at our church, and one thing that we noticed was that a lot of the kids that came through already had candy in their bags, so it looked like you know their parents were taking them hopping church to church for trunk or treat, which you know kind of feels like a similar premise of going neighborhood to neighborhood, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I, I... I don't know. Just I hadn't considered the idea of driving around to trick or treat until you until you just mentioned it. And first impression, it strikes me as cheating. I feel like you got to make the kids work for it a little bit more. I live in. okay. Okay. put them on a bicycle. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to argue this point anymore. (laughs) They are putting fentanyl in our children's candy. Okay. There are razor blades in the raisin boxes. My God. Okay, if you give raisins out at Halloween, you deserve for your house. To They're delicious and nutritious. Oh, God. No. Dried cranberries are better. 
<laughs> this is true. You're you're exactly Cra- right. On craisins that. are so much better than actual raisins. <laughs> now, like, like you, you ever you ever decent Halloween candy or no? No, I don't. I don't do raisins. Period. Oh really? Oh, you're yeah. just no raisins of any kind. I, I am anti-raisin, but let me tell you, I will put a hearty scoop full of dried cranberries on a salad at the salad bar. Let me tell you. So, okay, you ever had like the the uh, traditional Caribbean cooking that has some raisins in it, like a more savory preparation? No, no, I've I've, I've never never tried that actually. Okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna make it my goal to convert you to raisins because they're actually good. Okay, and good for you. A great source of fiber. Yeah, I don't have to worry about that yet. You old man. You just had another birthday, Cam, and those those things are starting to stack up. Let, let, me, let me tell you. Let me tell you. I'm still in my prime, okay? <laughs> and you will always be older than me. This is true, but Cam, I, I just have to let you know. You have, you have uh, 362 days until, you're, until you are no longer in your 20s. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> Ooh, Cam. I, I absolutely now, despise as, that as fact. Much, as much uh, hate as I've endured based on my age, Cam, how do you think uh, how do you think that celebration is going to go between the two of us? Oh, I, I know my... I'm going to get what's coming to me. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get my comeuppance. If, next, if you guys don't November. think I'm going to spend the entirety of the next year preparing... Uh, for Cam's great over-the-hill birthday bash. Uh, You got another thing coming. Yikes. (laughs) I will say this. Over the past, I don't know, six months or so, I have found more gray hairs in the top of my head than I am proud to admit. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. See, I I keep my hair short enough that I don't notice them if they're there. I'm kind of surprised it's taken this long, though, because... My dad's side of the family, especially, a lot of the men on this side go gray early. Like, when my dad was my age, which is, so the age I am now is the age my dad was when I was born, right? hmm He had, like, iron walls going already. Oh, surprisingly. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, like, he's he's completely gray-headed now, you know, despite only being uh, 58 years old, so. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I, I got a mixed bag in my family. I have some people that went, uh, like, my dad was, was bald and gray by his early 30s. Um, his dad had a full head of black hair into his 90s. Nice. Um, so, I don't I don't know what L- I'm going to Legit black hair? If I hair? hair short enough, I'll never have to worry about it. He he didn't dye it? He, he was, like, legit black hair? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Very cool. Well, right, fortunately, so- fortunately, the men in my family keep their hair so i don't think i have to worry about that going anywhere anytime soon uh, yeah my dad my dad was was bald as it gets by the time he was my age so i feel like i'm doing fairly well now does your dad does your dad rock the skullet or does he does he shave it completely oh no he's got the he's got the the horseshoe the horseshoe i like it well see so i, I feel like some guys can actually pull that off though like it, if you're it works if, for him He's, like he's if you're had... if you're distinguished enough looking. Now the funny pictures are from went back when he was in his late twenties and and riding motorcycles and had chops down the side of his face and a long beard and uh, long hair but bald on top. 
<laughs> it all just like his hair just trickled down his face. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it looks like you pulled someone out of Easy Rider, but then like the top of their head just fell off. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so that's enough Halloween talk. Let's get into some baseball. So. Uh, we had a, a split in Houston to start the World Series. So we get to Philadelphia with the series tied 1-1. All anyone was talking about leading up to this game was the Philadelphia crowd seeing their first World Series game at Citizens Bank Park in, uh, I believe, twelve or, four, or 13 years. Something around there. Um, uh, technically 12 because didn't they lose the 2010 World Series to the Yankees? No. Hang on. 13, yeah, 2009 yep. is when they lost to the Yankees. Okay, there it is. There it is. So, for this game... Please don't make Ranger me do math Suarez again. On the, I'm sorry? Please don't make me do math again. <laughs> it, it never works out well on this show. You can't spell Cameron Matthews without math. Um, sure. <laughs> so, you had Ranger Suarez starting for the Phillies and Lance McCullers Jr. getting... Uh, getting a look for the Astros. Suarez had a great outing, went five innings, allowing only three hits, struck out four, and only walked one. No earned runs for Ranger. Lance McCullers Jr. had a little bit more of a rough time. Lance went four and a third, allowing six hits and seven earned runs. Uh, Allowed five home runs, which I believe is an all-time record for a starting pitcher in a World Series game. Um, And, and, I think the the storyline coming from this game was was McCullers was clearly tipping his pitches. So they say. I mean that that seems to be the consensus. I think another I've, I've interesting... seen some side by sides of of different motions that looked pretty drastically different. So uh, I, I mean that that could have been it. I, whatever it was, the Phillies saw something that they passed along down that lineup and and really. Uh, gave McCullers just fits, the likes of which we've never seen in a World Series game. Had home runs from uh, from Bryce Harper, Alec Bohm, Brandon Marsh, Kyle Schwarber, and Reese Hoskins. That accounted for all of the scoring in the game, and the Phillies win this one 7 to nothing, take a 2-1 series lead over the Astros, uh, and really had the Astros on the ropes with two games left in Philadelphia. There was a chance this series couldn't even go back to Houston. It's after yeah after Tuesday night's game it it certainly felt that way that boy yeah I mean, uh... Philly had all the momentum the the crowd that that everyone was expecting in Philly uh, at least on this night appeared to be every bit as as influential in the game as people were saying that they would be um, so yeah it was just an absolutely crushing loss for the for the Astros um, and it was hard to see how they could rebound from that but. Came back the next day, and, and luckily for them, they had Christian Javier on the mound up against Aaron Nola. Uh, Aaron Nola goes four innings, allowing seven hits, three earned runs, struck out four. But Javier goes six no-hit innings with no, uh, two walks and nine strikeouts. Uh, Abreu, Montero, and Presley come in uh, in relief for the Astros, and each of them pitch hitless innings. So that's right, guys. The Houston Astros no-hit the Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series. An absolutely phenomenal 
sight to see uh, the Astros going out and just dominating this way, especially coming off of a seven to nothing loss. <laughs> it, it's it's almost humorous, you know, Philadelphia Phillies offense going from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows in a two game stretch, as as only the Phillies can. Absolutely. Uh, full disclosure: went to bed on this game at around the seventh inning. And when I woke up the next morning, I was like, "Oh, that, that's the thing that happened." Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was really something cool to see. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't believe any of us were alive for uh, for the last World Series uh, no hitter, which was uh, the Don Larson perfect game, I believe. Uh, so this was a, well, a pretty Jeff, cool moment. Uh, Jeff, maybe. Um, so yeah, the uh, the Astros managed to uh, to, to really tap on some know? runs. Okay. They loaded That's the fine. bases in the fifth before Jordan Alvarez got hit by a pitch to walk in the first run of the game. Uh, Bregman followed that with a double. Kyle Tucker hit a sacrifice fly right after that. Uriel singled to left, bringing home Bregman. All five runs were scored in the fifth inning, and the final of the game is five to nothing. Yeah, it was a five to nothing real quick. It was five. Yeah, it was five to nothing real quick. All of the scoring happened in about ten minutes, and then the rest of the game was just pitching, pitching, pitching. It feels like there really just has not been a close game in this one. You know, like Friday night. Well, Friday the game one feels like maybe the closest game so far. Yes, game one was an absolute nail biter, um, and everything else has been pretty lopsided one way or the other uh yeah so. um an- another thing i i believe is uh actually let's see which game this was um i believe it was game three the uh the the first game in at citizens bank park um an umpire by the name of pat hoberg was behind the plate and for the first time I can remember seeing, uh, at least based on the umpire scorecard we all saw, Pat Hoberg called a perfect game in the World Series, as in every single ball that crossed the plate, Pat Hoberg called correctly. What a what what a king. This is what a what a what an absolute guy. And, and and look, no no one loves to crap on umpires when they have bad outings as much as I do. So I think it's it's necessary when when someone comes in and and puts on a performance like this, especially in a game the magnitude of a World Series game, it's got to be it's got to be called out and celebrated. So uh, hats off to you, Pat Hoberg. I can only assume you're a huge fan of the show and you're listening every week. Real men of genius. Real men of genius. So the back. Astros managed to tie the series up at two uh, in in Philadelphia with one game to play before they can bring it back home to Houston. Uh, this was an, an interesting spot for both teams. Uh, you didn't really have a, a starter cut out for the Phillies. Um, so they ran Noah Syndergaard out there, and the Astros ran Justin Verlander back out there which was something to watch given how poorly he pitched in uh, in the first game of the series. So Noah Syndergaard goes three innings, allowing three hits, two earned runs, and strikes out four. Justin Verlander, uh, in a moment of great redemption, goes 
five innings, allowing four hits, only one earned run, struck out six, did, did allow four walks, but had, I think, inarguably his best World Series outing of his career in Game 5, um, which, granted, isn't saying a ton, um, but it it. it he gave the team a chance to win, which was, which he hadn't done a lot of in the World Series, oddly enough. Yeah, I mean, it feels feels pretty clear-cut to me to say that that, that was definitely his best World Series start. Uh, and, you know, I, it, it's interesting, you know, you go into Game 5 and there was a lot of just curiosity about how, all right, uh, you know, how are how the Astros going to respond? You're coming off of a no-hitter. This feels like you know, you're tied up 2-2. This feels like a swing game here and – Verlander went out and got it done. Yeah, so you had in the first inning, Jeremy Pena uh, singled home Jose Altuve to put the Astros up one to nothing before Kyle Schwarber comes back in the bottom of the first and hits a solo home run to tie it. Uh, Stays 1-1 until the fourth when Jeremy Pena again hits a solo homer to to left field, putting the Astros up 2-1. Uh, Alvarez grounds out to first, scoring Altuve in the eighth. Uh, Astros take a three-to-one lead, but in the bottom of the eighth, Gene Segura singles home Castellanos, uh, and it was a very tight game. I think uh, this is right up there with Game One as uh, as being a real nail biter. But ultimately, the Astros win the game three to two. Justin Verlander gets his first career World Series win, and the Astros take a three to two series lead on their way home to Houston. Yeah, it, it the momentum swing in this series, at least seemingly at that point, felt seismic. Right? Uh, you know, you go from Philly just obliterating Lance McCullers in game three to suddenly with two games back-to-back wins for the Astros and a 3-2 lead, you know, not only are you a game up going back home, but you just, you feel like the momentum is squarely in the Astros court. Well, uh, doesn't appear as though any offensive momentum has carried over into, into game six. As we're recording, we're watching, uh, along with Game 6, and Framber Valdez and Zach Wheeler are putting on an absolute pitching clinic. Uh, it is a scoreless game in the fifth inning as we're recording this, uh, and neither pitcher has shown any signs of slowing. Uh, so we'll recap that game next week for you. Um, but just just another fantastic World Series game. Uh, got a really good series out of this. Uh, I, 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 I hope even though our Braves weren't in it, that a lot of you uh, found some time to to catch a little bit of this World Series because it has been a good one. So what was what was your World Series prediction? Didn't you say Astros in five? I believe so. And I believe I said Astros in six. You did. You did. So, so you yeah. still got it. So you're saying there's a chance. Um, yes. Um, do I owe you anything if... if uh, if if you get it right and I don't, no, no, your your friendship is all I need, Alex. Oh, okay. So, should I still expect the the Miley Cyrus video? Say, Alex, why don't you say we get into our next segment? Let's do it. Thank you, Alex and Cam. Boy, both both of you sure do sound funny and handsome. 
couple of couple of great guys there should be award-winning podcasters in my opinion scholars and gentlemen <clears throat> oh so, my god so that that brings us to the sixth game of the 2022 world series this game featured framer valdez on the mound up against zach wheeler wheeler who had been having a phenomenal postseason looked very good in this game but framer just looked a little bit better valdez went six innings with uh allowing two hits one earned run did walk two, but struck out nine. Uh, meanwhile, Wheeler goes five and a third, allowing three hits, two earned runs, one walk, and strikes out five. Uh, the Astros offense was able to get this one done after t- facing an early deficit. Kyle Schwarber homered to right in the sixth inning to put the Phillies up one to nothing. But Jordan Alvarez comes back in the bottom of the sixth and hits a Solaire-esque Game six, three-run home run, 450 feet to center field, scoring Altuve and Pena, putting the Astros up three to one, which was more than enough. The Astros take game six, four to one, and take the World Series in four in uh, in six games. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say that that home run was very Solaire-esque, right? Like that was that was their game clinching moment in which he disrespected that poor baseball uh what was very reminiscent of 2021 pretty sure that that was illegal in like 47 states but fortunately they were in texas so uh, there are only a select few guys who can who can hit a baseball and have it look that way and it's like stanton and judge alvarez solaire when he's on um, just the way they mash a ball is different because they're just so huge. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I, besides the fact that I called this, uh, Astros in six, um, you know, there's not really, there's not really anybody on the Astros roster that like, I'm like, Oh, I'm so happy that they have another world series. Champ. But I will say that I am happy for Dusty Baker in a sense. Um, or- I'm I'm going to give you one name on the Astros roster, even though he didn't contribute a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, Trey Mancini is a World Series champion. Now, see, I'm happy for Trey, but then it still just makes me angry that the Orioles traded him. It, it does make me angry angry that the Orioles traded him, and and in retrospect, the Astros really didn't get much from him. He would he hit one eleven in the postseason, um, so so not. Not quite the production you want, but uh, for a guy that's been through what he's been through, to to see him be able to hoist the World Series trophy was was really cool. And then Dusty Baker, of course, as you said, um, goes without saying, just just unbelievable to see him finally uh, get his first World Series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know how how many years has he been? Man, twenty five years, I think, at this point to get his get his first trophy i mean that, that's that's just awesome you know i think i think dusty is a very likable kind of guy and of course he has great ties to the braves and, and everything and you know just a just a wealth of, of baseball knowledge so you know I, I will say i am genuinely happy for him i am i am and as we've gotten into the postseason a little bit it's uh, it, it's safe to say that the Houston Astros uh, have hitched their wagon to Dusty Baker because they have uh, they have not re-signed their uh, their general manager James Click, rather opting to keep their coaching staff around. And uh, Dusty Baker will be back 
in 2023 for the Astros. James Click will not. That That's interesting, and the fact that it's only a one-year deal for Dusty is is interesting. Um, yeah, it makes you wonder – Makes you wonder a couple of things. I think it makes you wonder in regards to Dusty Baker if he has already pretty much told them like, "Hey, let's do this. Let's go one more round, and then I'm I'm probably heading to the house." Like, I, I wonder if that's already been said because for a guy to to come in under the circumstances that he did, and you know, get you another World Series championship, and you know, navigate you through a season like this, I think in any other circumstance, you look at him as your manager and you say, "All right." you can stay here as long as you want to. Right. You know? And so that, that's why I wonder if, if the one year deal was already set with the precedent that he has, he has told them that, that that's going to be it for him. Well, the other thing I'm wondering with this general manager move is, you know, is Houston going to angle to get Lunau back? Because, because now they'll have an opening at GM and I believe his, his suspension is up. So that'll be that'll be very interesting to see if the Astros get back to the general manager that helped them build the 2017 World Series team. That is a good point. That is an interesting point. I mean, in theory, if Dusty Baker, as you suggested, does retire next year, we could see the 2024 Astros with Lunau as the GM and Hinch as the as the uh, manager. My lord, can you imagine? What could you imagine if they got that band back together? Ugh. I think I kind of hate it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I honestly, I think it would be hilarious because so many people would be so fired up about it. Oh, it, it'd be it'd be an all time day in the sports world if that Absolutely. happens. Absolutely. <laughs> but congratulations to the Houston Astros and. Lots of laughs to the Philadelphia Phillies for not being able to pull off what the Nationals and Braves were able to do and losing to the Houston Astros in the World Series. Well, Alex, you know the Phillies are just such a plucky underdog story with their top five payroll. (laughs) Oh, man, the, the narratives that were coming out were just the most ridiculous thing. And and I think it's. I think it's what's best for business that the that the Phillies did not win the World Series. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That just means they're just going to go into the offseason and spend more stupid money. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. Well, Alex, that uh, that wraps up this year's World Series. But I, I thought it'd be fun, you and I have discussed this, to look back at World Series from years past. So what do you say? Let's do it. All right, so we're going to jump into the World Series history. How about that? We'll, we'll, we'll just call it that. So what, <laughs> I, I've got no catchy name here, folks. So what we're going to do is Alex and I are going to look back through World Series from periodic years and starting at 90, then 75 years ago, 60, 45, 30, and 15. We figured it'd be fun to select kind of a a different increment of years to look back at. And I I think you'll find some fun information here. So, Alex, you have our World Series from 90 years ago. Why don't we start there? 
All right, we are going to look at the 1932 World Series, which featured the American League champion New York Yankees, managed by Joe McCarthy, against the National League champion Chicago Cubs, managed by Charlie Grimm. The Cubs went 90-64 and 64 that season, uh, while the New York, New York Yankees went 107-47. and 47. Absolute powerhouse going into the World Series. The Yankees win four games to nothing, sweep the Cubs right out of the World Series. Uh, and one thing that jumps off the page at me in, in looking at these uh, this World Series, the game times. Uh, not a single game of this World Series exceeded two hours and 31 minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, in fact, game two of this World Series was completed in one hour and 46 <laughs> minutes. Huh. Okay. So, uh, I, I, my suspicion is that this is the World Series that Rob Manfred remembers so fondly from his childhood um, that he wants to get back to these kind of game times and cut off, you know, a third of our baseball enjoyment these days. Well, so they also didn't. They also didn't have TV timeouts. So. Uh yeah, I guess. All right. Well, looking at some Hall of Famers from uh, from this World Series, there is actually an umpire that 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 called this World Series that's in the Hall of Fame. That would be Bill Clem. Uh, Joe McCarthy, the Yankees manager for this series, made the Hall of Fame. Also, Earl Combs, Bill Dickey, Lefty Gomez, Tony Lazari, Herb Pennick, Red Ruffing, Joe Sewell, Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth. Uh, for the Cubs, of course, manager, uh, sorry, player manager, Rogers Hornsby, uh, Kiki Kyler, Billy Herman, Burley Grimes, and Gabby Hartnett all made the Hall of Fame. So uh, a well-represented uh, World Series in the Hall of Fame. Uh, on the radio, NBC and CBS had the call. Hal Totten and Bob Elson were the uh, the lead announcers for each of those teams. A lot of, lot of, lot of good names in there. Very cool. Anytime you get to mention Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth on a, uh, on a baseball show, it's a good time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny that there's a Hall of Fame umpire in this game, because I've actually got a Hall of Fame umpire in my next game as well. Very nice. Uh, speaking of which, um, I think we need to go ahead and elect Pat Hoberg into the Hall of Fame. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> he he is the greatest umpire of our time, uh, and should be respected as such. Build a statue. <laughs> where? I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere. Where? Where? Where's he from? Let's say Pat Hoberg. Where are you from? <laughs> we are going to erect a statue in your in the middle. He is from Des Moines, Iowa. Well, there's not much else going on in Iowa. So we'll oh, yeah, statue they got there. plenty of room for a, a great big statue. For sure. Statue of Liberty size. There we go. There we go. Okay. Skipping ahead now 15 years, we are going to go to the 1947 World Series, 75 years ago this season. A matchup between the New York Yankees and the Brooklyn Dodgers, of course, that was a matchup that we saw plenty during this era when New York had both the Yankees and the Dodgers. Yankees went 97 and 57 this season as well. The Dodgers went 94 and 60. This series is considered kind of to be an all-time series as it goes 
all seven games, and the Yankees at this point win their 11th World Series championship. So think about that, 1947. They have 27 now. They were already at 11 in 1947. <laughs> the Yankees were led by Bucky Harris, uh, who guided them to their championship. And actually, this was his first championship since managing the Washington Senators to a World Series title in 1924. So there was a 23-year gap in his career between managing uh, championship seasons. Uh, this game, These games were broadcast on NBC and CBS, as well as local radio. Radio announcers for this were, boy, here's a couple of names, Mel Allen and Red Barber. So you had the Yankees announcer and the Dodgers announcer in the same booth together. I love that. I, uh, I, I was recently listening to the radio, and they played an old <laughs> interview with uh, – um, Oh God! I even did this in the in the stuff we lost last week. Vin Scully. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> How do you do that again? I'm nothing if not consistent. There you go. <laughs> so I heard I heard a Vin Scully interview on the radio uh, a week or two ago, and he was actually talking about how how they would have the lead announcer from each team come in to call the World Series uh, regularly early on, and and I thought like that's such a cool concept. Like, could you imagine if there was a, a, a Braves-Padres NLCS and you had Don Orsillo and Chip Carey on the call? That would be very cool. I would enjoy that. That would be cool. And, and honestly, I think we could still do something like that. Like, imagine, you know, imagine if on, like, Players Weekend on the Saturday game you had Radio Crews, you know, mix-match each other or something. Yeah. You know, something, something like that would, would be really fun. Uh, another fun fact about the 1947 World Series. This was, of course, Jackie Robinson's rookie season. So this was the first racially integrated World Series in history. And speaking of famous players, uh, we had a few Hall of Famers on both sides. Of course, on the Yankees, you have Bucky Harris, the manager, Yogi Berra, Joe DiMaggio, and Phil Rizzuto. And on the Dodgers, you have Gil Rizzuto. Those are Z's. <laughs> and then on the Dodgers, you have Gil Hodges, Pee Wee Reese, Jackie Robinson, Duke Snyder, who did not play but was on the roster, and Arky Vaughn. And as I mentioned, there is a Hall of Fame umpire in this series. Umpire Bill McGowan is in the Hall of Fame. So quite the uh, quite the World Series there that I feel like, you know, between now and spring training would probably be a fun one to go back and either listen to or watch a little bit of. Oh, for sure. And and uh, not not to fast forward, but I, I've got one very, very similar to that. Um, so we're going to go to the 1962 World Series, which also featured the New York Yankees, this time facing the San Francisco Giants. This was also a barn burner of a World Series, which went all seven games uh, and featured uh, travel back and forth from New York to San Francisco. Uh, the MVP of this World Series was Ralph Terry of the New York Yankees. Um, and this one was absolutely incredible. Some of the names that are on this list are, are unbelievable. Um, Al Barlick was the Hall of Fame umpire calling this World Series. And uh, some of the names... Wasn't that, are... wasn't that Tim, the Toolman Taylor's uh, co-host on Home Improvement? <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. Okay. Al, Al, Al Barlick. There it is. <laughs> uh, some of the names for the 
for the Yankees in this World Series included also Yogi Berra, still around for this one. Uh, Whitey Ford, who won a game in this World Series. Uh, Mickey Mantle. Uh, Roger Maris, who hit a uh, who hit a game six home run. Um, and uh, Don Larson, who won games uh, game four for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, also playing for the Giants in that series were Orlando Cepeda, Juan Marichal, Willie Mays, and Willie McCovey. So just uh, uh, this World Series, almost everybody that was pitching and would come to the plate uh, would wind up being a Hall of Famer, it seems. Uh, and these games were were all very close. There wasn't a single blowout in the World Series. Uh, game seven was actually a one to nothing Yankees win. So uh, if... If there is footage out there, and this was a televised World Series, I encourage all of you to look that up. And there was even a parallel in the announcers, except uh, NBC television had Russ Hodges and Mel Allen calling. You know, this era, I I feel like, you know, we we talk a lot about um, 80s and 90s, of course, you know, with with, with people of our age. Um, We talk about... We talk about the 20s, I feel like, a lot, you know, because that was really when modern baseball started to kind of take off. But I feel like the late 50s, early 60s just don't get enough love, you know. For- 100%. I mean, in, in going back and reviewing these World Series that, that we're looking at, <clears throat> I mean, it, it it puts a lot of things into context. It, it makes a lot of sense why uh, people who were growing up during that generation um, – have have a a higher regard i think for baseball players than we do now that we can drill into into their numbers a bit more than they could back then um it also speaks to what a good job baseball was doing at the time of of marketing their players because i mean look at that list of names i just read off to you it's uh it's 60 years later and i still know uh, a dozen or more names from from this series Right. And, and, you know, you you think, too, at this time, it's such a transformative era uh, for baseball as as baseball is starting to expand to the West Coast. Uh, The season has been expanded from 158 to 162 games, I think, a year or two prior to this World Series. There's more night games being played than at any other time. So we've made the shift. We've we've at least started to make the shift from from radio to television. Yeah, yeah, television is more readily available now. So, yeah, it, it's such a it's such an interesting time that I feel like just I feel like it gets overshadowed in a way. Um, but you know, it's such an important time in the history of baseball and I think the names that you read off that were in this World Series show that. All right, we'll skip ahead now another 15 years to the 1977 World Series. Is the 74th edition of the World Series uh, between the American League champion New York Yankees and the National League champion uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. The Yankees went 162 this season under manager Billy Martin, and the Dodgers went 98 and 64 under manager Tommy Lasorda. So now we're we're starting to get into a lot of the names that we know very well um i will say go out of your way to look up the 1977 world series logo uh because it looks like you're about to walk into like al's breakfast barn or the sizzler or something like that it is a very (laughs) a very western font 
four for whatever reason. Uh, the Yankees would go on to win this World Series four games to two. This would be their 21st World Series championship, their first being since 1962, funny enough there, Alex, and their first under the ownership of George Steinbrenner. Uh, this World Series was broadcast on ABC, so there's something that I feel like we we don't see uh, we don't see a lot now or not used to seeing. Your television announcers for this World Series. Here you go, Alex. Here's a list for you: Keith Jackson, Ooh. Howard Howard Cosell, and Tom Seaver. Wow, what a lineup! Wrap your head around that one. Uh, radio broadcasts were on CBS radio. Your radio announcers were Ross Porter for games in New York, Bill White for games in Los Angeles, and Wynn Elliott uh, providing color for both sides. Uh, you got a few Hall of Famers on both teams as well. On the Yankees, you have Catfish Hunter, Reggie Jackson, Yogi Berra, and Bobby Cox, who was the first base coach at the time for the Yankees. Is Yogi Bear is just going to be on every single one of these that we do? Well, the man played for 72 years, so yes. <laughs> uh, on the Robert Dodgers Hattie side. still playing. That, so they say. So they say. Uh, on the Dodgers side, you have Tommy Lasorda as your manager in the Hall of Fame and Don Sutton, the only other Dodger Hall of Famer. And we do have a Hall of Fame umpire, Mr. Nestor Shylack. All right, and that'll be the last Hall of Fame umpire we hear from in World Series play. I am sure. As there was not a Hall of Fame umpire from the 1992 World Series, which I have the distinct displeasure to remind you all about. The 1992 World Series featured the National League champion Atlanta Braves taking on the American League champion Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Cito Gaston led the Blue Jays to a 96-66 and 66 record, uh, while Braves manager Bobby Cox led them to a 98-64 and 64 record that year. The venues for this were, of course, Fulton County Stadium and the Sky Dome in Toronto. Uh, obviously, we all know the Toronto Blue Jays ended up winning this one 4-2. The Atlanta Braves were on the back end of that worst-to-first season, Um and and defeated the uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates in the uh, in the NLCS. Uh, we know off the top of our heads, Hall of Famers from this one. We had Bobby Cox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, uh, Roberto Alomar, Jack Morris, Dave Winfield, uh, Pat Gillick, the GM of the Blue Jays, even made the Hall of Fame from this. Um, it did not go well for the Braves. They ended up losing two out of three in Toronto and were not able to uh, to complete it. Lost uh, game six at home in 11 innings uh, and ultimately losing the World Series to the Blue Jays. Uh, the television announcers on CBS for this one were Sean McDonough and Tim McCarver. Uh, the national radio announcers, though, were Vin Scully and Johnny Bench. Uh, of course, Ooh. for the Braves... Skip Carey, Pete Van Weeren, Ernie Johnson, Joe Simpson, and Don Sutton were on the radio call. Uh, and I would argue that that is one of the, the greatest radio teams ever assembled. The names on that are just phenomenal. Oh, you will, you will get no argument from me on that. All right. So this, so was, this, this was the first of back-to-back World Series wins for the Blue Jays, correct? Yes, it was. Because next year is Touch Em All, Joe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Okay, 
for our final World Series throwback. We'll skip ahead 15 years to 15 years ago, the 2007 World Series. Now, Alex, before we kicked off this segment, off air, I asked you, well, I, I hinted that this was an interesting one. Do you recall who played in the 2007 World Series? All right, I'm trying. I'm trying to work my way back. This was before the Giants went on their even year run, right? Um, 2007. I got nothing, man. The 2007 World Series was between the Boston Red Sox and the Colorado Rockies. Of course. Of course. <laughs> it, it is the Rockies' only appearance in the World Series, and it was the Red Sox' second World Series championship in four seasons and their seventh overall. It also marked the third sweep in four years by the American League champion. So this was in the era where the American League was seemingly just running rough shot over the National League. There was a while there where the National League just just almost seemed like quad A. Yeah, yeah. Like the American League, for whatever reason, for a few years there was just on a ridiculous run. Um, so uh, let's see. Boston Red Sox, managed by Terry Francona, went 96 and 66 this season. The Colorado Rockies managed by Clint Hurdle, there's a name, went 90 and 73 and were the wild card. <laughs> uh this game was broadcast of course on Big Fox. Your TV announcers were Joe Buck and Tim McCarver on radio broadcast of course on ESPN, WRKO and KOA in Boston and Colorado. Uh, specifically, your radio announcers for ESPN were John Miller and Joe Morgan. So there's a couple of names there. Uh, of course, this was a sweep by the Red Sox. Looking at Hall of Famers, only one. One for the Red Sox, David Ortiz. One Hall of Famer from a World Series. Well, I guess 07, a lot of those people are probably still in baseball. Right, right. Uh, quick fun facts about this one, uh, including the last three games of the AL Championship Series. The Red Sox outscored their opponents 59 to 15 over their final seven games. Wow. Good uh, God. Yeah. The Rockies, meanwhile, became the first National League team to get swept in their World Series after sweeping the League Championship Series because they did sweep the Diamondbacks in the NLCS. <laughs> and just the That's second team. Ever that's, to that's say, a tough business there. Your, your fans got to be pretty hyped after sweeping an NLCS and then to not win a game in the World Series is pretty brutal. Yeah, uh, they were just the second team in World Series history to suffer such a fate following the Oakland Athletics in 1990. The fate would again be suffered by the 2012 Detroit Tigers being swept by the Giants in the World Series after sweeping the Yankees in the ALCS. As of this year, this remains the most recent time an American League team has swept a National League team in the World Series. All right, and we will be back in 2037 to continue this bit. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, uh, here, here's an interesting thing. Uh, according to this Wikipedia article, there was a ticket controversy. A ticket so, controversy? Okay. Yes. So, on October 17th, 2007, a week before the first game of the World Series, the Colorado Rockies announced that tickets would be made available to the general public via online sales only, despite prior arrangements to sell the tickets at local retail outlets. Five uh -oh. days later, Calif California-based ticket vendor 
uh, I don't know what that company name is, uh, blah, 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 was forced to suspend sales after less than an hour due to an exorbitant amount of purchase attempts. The Rockies organization said that they were the victims of a denial-of-service attack. The FBI started its own investigation into these claims. Ticket sales resumed the next day with all three home games selling out within two and a half hours. Cam, are you old enough to remember the days of having to go and stand in line for any tickets you wanted? <clears throat> uh, no. <laughs> no. It, it was... It was quite an experience to get tickets to things in uh, in like the 90s and maybe even the early 2000s. Like there online sales were not readily available yet. We were in the infancy of of the Internet. So so at least for for concerts, what you would do is you would go to the local record store and at like 10 a.m. on Saturday uh concerts would go on sale. And depending on how popular it was, that would be how long the lines were. And it was uh, it was quite an experience there. And then for the ballparks, it was the same kind of deal. You just had to go to the box office and get some tickets. Now, see, I I can recall growing up, my dad, like for Monster Jam or something like that, right? Calling the box office at whatever arena it was going to be at and, and going, ordering going t- to will call, yeah, yeah, and going to will call, like you know, ordering tickets over the phone. I do recall that before online tickets were a thing. Now you can just pull something up on your phone and. Hey, I got tickets to this thing. <laughs> Look at this this bright box I keep in my pocket. It's my ticket. <laughs> Y'all want to go watch wrestling? You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, guys. Well, today's episode of Chatting Average has been brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. It's a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're helping us grow, hating your favorite team. Uh, and Rising Tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open up Instagram or Twitter and type in at S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. That's spelled like sports drink, just without the vowels. All I ask is that we have one episode left. Cam, please don't let the funk out. No, I got my hand on the doorknob, Alex. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, like I mentioned, next week will be the final episode of the season for the Chatting Average podcast. And I'm doing everything I can to make that one as special for you as possible. So tune in next week uh, and we will have our season finale of the Chatting Average podcast. But till then, for Cam Matthews, my name's Alex. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. This has been the Chatting Average Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Be sure to check out our merchandise store at teespring.com slash stores slash Chatting Average Podcast. And please consider becoming a patron of our show at patreon.com slash chatting average. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode. <laughs>